Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back to the Conservative Review podcast here on this fine Monday to start off a new week on August 5th. And look, I'd be lying to you if I'd say I'm happy to come back here excited for a new week because frankly, these are the type of weeks where I wish I did something else for a living. We're at a point in this country where every last thing that happens, whether it's sports, weather, tragedy, it's all political. We used to have several sections of a newspaper. One was politics. Now it's all politics. I was uh, telling a colleague here at Conservative Review that I think we're, we're now at a point, even if we had another 9-11, we can never come together the way we did, at least temporarily, as a nation, just because of technology. I mean, social media, what it's done to all of us, and that we're all at each other's throats. Now, there's a lot of bad to technology and the internet, and I think, as we're going to discuss, a lot of that is really what's fueling the growing copycat mass shooting mentality. But certainly, I am excited about the good part, that we could still exercise our First Amendment push back against the lies and obfuscation of the legacy media, which is really just appalling. You look at the summary of what they're saying, and again, the media always defines the narrative of the day because my side, unfortunately, doesn't have their own safety and security agenda as we've been building for a number of years. So like a balloon in the wind, if you don't have your own rudder, well, you're going to be driven by the media's narrative. And the media's narrative is twofold that basically there's a massive growth in shootings because of white supremacism exclusively, and that's because of conservatives, people who believe in sovereign borders, and because of the president. And it's because of some form of guns and some form of gun control that's not really identified is going to stop that. So we're going to unpack both of those points today very methodically as much as we have time for, and you know, if we don't have time, we'll get to more of this tomorrow. I think the important thing to recognize for today is we need to decipher what is a political slash public policy issue from what is not. We need to recognize that not everything in life is caused by public policy and is redressable through the political system. Some things are, but not everything is. And it's important to recognize what is that distinction. It's important to recognize that each generation is confronted with certain challenges based on the demographics, based on the culture, based on the environment, based on technology. And each generation has a challenge that previous generations did not have, but often has um, is relieved of certain challenges that prior generations did have and we no longer have. I want to get to that as well. We're always about public policy here. I don't claim to be an expert on culture, mental health, and other things. So we always look at things from a public policy lens. What can be redressed through policy? What was caused through a various policy and what wasn't? What does God want from us? Well, you know, what I think there's a lot of scripture that's relevant to the times we're in today, but I think to me the most relevant scripture is Deuteronomy 29, 28. 
That which is secret belongs to the Lord, our God. But that which is revealed applies to us and to our children forever. There's a lot of things in life that are vexing, confounding, that there's not much we can do about. And it's not worth attacking our political enemies over them. And there are things that are out in the open. And this is why I think that if we're going to have a national discussion over mass shootings, over white supremacism, over gun control, you can't just have the media obfuscate and focus on one slice without any context. You need to make this a broader issue of safety and security, broader context of broader violence, national threats, domestic violence, you know, not just in the prism of mass shootings. And you have to be honest about what is preventable and what is not preventable. So I think right away, for starters, it's important to recognize that the key element of government, as we talk about all the time, we are very big into law and order. This is one of the biggest law and order shows in politics around because the job of the federal government is to protect us primarily from external threats. The job of more localized government is to protect us from more internal threats. It's almost a direct quote from Madison, the Federalist Papers, Federalist 48. And that's why I think it's definitely legitimate that when you have a rash of mass shootings, two over one weekend, and you know certainly a growing trend of this decade, to explore what is the cause. But as Albert Einstein said, if he had to deal with, you know, had, had the ability to solve one issue, he'd spend 95% of the time identifying the problem and 5% of the time on the solution. What the media does is they talk about their solution without first identifying the problem. Now, to me, I think it is legitimate to ask, hey, are guns a part of this? Or could we redress this through some form of gun control? I rigorously disagree, and we're going to talk about why, but that's legitimate for someone to ask. What is not legitimate is to, A, blame the president or blame conservatives, blame people for holding a certain common-sense view of sovereignty, of not having illegal immigration in this country, um, as somehow responsible for the acts of one man-man, and also somehow making it seem like guns or white supremacism is the cause of this. Because if you look at the top 25 mass shooting events, many of which did occur this past decade, there's only two that are from white supremacists. Two are from jihadists, the Pulse nightclub in Orlando and San Bernardino um, in California. And the biggest one of all, Las Vegas, is still unknown and remains shrouded in mystery. The guy was middle-aged, not young, doesn't fit the description of anything. There might have been multiple attackers. We still don't know what happened there. And there's a reason why the left and the media don't really want to talk about that. You can't talk about white supremacism um, because it just it's not any more pervasive than any anything else. And this hap- this everyone agrees this trend started a few years before Trump. It's also dishonest to say that guns is what's fueling this. We'll talk about it in a minute if that's if to take away guns is the solution, right? Those are different things. You could say something is not necessarily the cause, but it might be a solution. But intellectually, no honest person could say that 
if you want to identify what has happened the last six to eight years, if you look at these shootings, you can't say gun laws because that was in the 90s and early 2000s. Okay? If anything, we've gone back the other way in recent years where more states are getting much stricter. So there's no way that could be the culprit. I think what is very clear that anyone with any political agenda should recognize the thing that changed around that time is one thing, and that's social media, technology. There was a period of time where we just had the internet, previous decade, but we didn't have social media. We didn't have iPhones and then digital and then social media, and that connects it, that everyone's all connected, everything is instantaneously, every crazy fed, every sicko mentality is gonna be magnified, both both from the sicko's mindset, he's gonna be inculcated with a bunch of stuff, and then also his ability to observe other people, copycat, implement things. You're seeing this with the manifestos. They all follow the same trend. Even just over the last 24 hours, there's been several copycat attempts. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the reason we didn't have that before is, is simply technology. Right? I'm not going to blame the right. I'm not going to blame the left. That is not a political issue. That is something that you know, just like the advent of cars created a terrible um, you know, rash of, of car deaths, car accidents that you didn't have before, this is a little bit more subtle, but culturally, what the social media is doing to people is, um, is something that, that's overlooked. I don't know what you do about that, but let, let's just first identify the problem. The problem is you look at almost all of these cases, they're almost all mental illness. You go through the top 25, you know, I'm just looking here, you look at the top 25 on Wikipedia. So, you know, Wikipedia lists the top shootings based on number of casualties. And almost every one of them is the same story. It's, it's someone who's mentally ill or isolated and disturbed, often has a beef with his school or place of employment, or family. One of those three, there's been several cases of wiping out a family. Um, and again, you had two white supremacist ones, the one in Pittsburgh, the one here in El Paso, and the two jihadist attacks. And that's that's pretty much it. That is pretty much it. I'm just looking here, and that's that's what it is. And of course, Las Vegas, which was the biggest one, which I don't think the left wants to find out what was behind that. But first, just from a political vantage point, I think it's very important to get this out of the way. A tragedy should never be used as a human shield to hide behind, to stifle legitimate political debate. So people want to say, well, Daniel, you're right. The Dayton guy was, and I don't want to mention their names, was a leftist. But he didn't really do the attack because of that, whereas the one in El Paso did it because he was anti-immigrant. Let me tell you something. There is only one of these shootings that was directly, exclusively political. That was James Hodgkinson, the Bernie Sanders campaign volunteer, who went to Northern Virginia and asked which one is the Republican baseball practice. They have the annual charity baseball game between Republicans and Democrats. They each had a practice day in the field. 
And there were about 30 House Republican members. Um, maybe Rand Paul was there too. There were a couple of senators uh, at that field in Northern Virginia. And they were playing. This guy asked, where is the Republican playing field? And he went there and he almost killed the second highest ranking Republican in the House, Majority Whip, or then Majority Whip, now Minority Whip, Steve Scalise from Louisiana. Now, everyone knows if not for the security guard and the various different miracles that happened there, you could have easily had 20 or so sitting congressmen wiped out. It's only by luck that that didn't happen. That guy, that guy's intent was to do that. And and no one, including, thank God, Steve Scalise, died. The media dropped that like a hot potato. Now, I want to make something very clear. From my end, you can go back in my writings. At the time, I made it very clear. I don't blame Bernie Sanders. I don't think he needs to apologize for it. I don't blame Rachel Maddow and the MS, uh, NBC hosts that this guy cited all the time and listened to because at the end of the day, they have the right to advocate for socialism, abortion, um, homosexual agenda, whatever they want, open borders, the same way we want to advocate for sovereignty, strong civil society, strong national security, free markets, and things like that. And I'm not going to play this game. Now, I might have just said at the time, kind of tongue in cheek, like, hey, you guys are the ones politicizing all these shootings. So, hey, baby, this is the ultimate political one. But I personally do not do that. I have no problem with that. And I don't think it is their fault when you're dealing with lone shooters that come out of nowhere, that they have no prior records. Those are very vexing problems. And I don't think you could blame that on any political ideology. In a free country, in a free society that's not going to be run like North Korea, if there's no prior warning and there's no criminal record and a guy comes out of nowhere and he wants to kill people, especially if he's not scared of dying, it's a very tough issue. It always was. Now with the internet and social media really giving these people glory and it really plays to their mindset and again i'm not a psychologist we can bring one on the show to discuss that i think it's pretty clear that's what's happening and that's why you have more of them but what we do about that that is a very vexing problem okay right right off that i'm going to have my agenda of what i think we could possibly do to chip around the edges but fundamentally you're not going to solve that problem and i'm going to be honest about that and i wish the left were honest about that too None of no gun control law that they want to pass is going to prevent any of this. That's the dirty little secret. We already have background checks. Most of them either get it illegally or the opposite because because they have no priors. They have no prior records. Guess what? They're not felons. They'll pass a background check. This is what I believe is what's hidden from us, which is for God. Not to say we shouldn't work at it. I'm just saying you have to recognize fundamentally this is a hidden issue. But the reason why we focus so much on what's out in the open, where you have open Antifa violence, that's not like one guy just shoots out of nowhere. You have organized violence where they throw cement on people. And they stand back. The police don't do anything about it. Where you have... Sanctuary cities, the reason why I speak about illegal immigration, and yes, we're going to continue speaking about that. We're not going to be cowed into not speaking about it just because this guy happened to also oppose illegal immigration and shot people up because of it. 
If anything, this proves the point that we are grasping at straws to try to figure out how to deal with a vexing problem. Let's at least solve the no-brainer, the low-hanging fruits. We don't need other countries' criminals. We don't need other youths from other countries that are having difficulty when clearly we have our own problems with our own youth. This guy was more of a white supremacist, but most of them are just disgruntled. The school shootings, um, it's not right or left. It's not any ideology. It's a big problem with our youth. That is a problem. Why bring in other, other people? You cannot tell me these things are 100% avoidable. Name me the bill. Name me the policy. Whereas when it comes to an illegal alien who is arrested one time for a crime, guess what? That should be his last crime in the country. Because unlike an American, just because of natural law, we have sovereignty, you could deport him. He should be removed. So when you have sanctuary cities harboring two million criminal aliens in this country, we have enough of our own criminals. That's a huge public policy problem that is 100% avoidable. 100% avoidable. That's why you need to look at this broadly. And then you look, need to look at domestic crime in general. The reason why I focus on domestic crime a lot, on people that have been arrested for 20 different robberies and assaults, and they're not in prison. That is avoidable. That is redressable. Here's the deal. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 70% of violent felons from 1990 to 2002, it's a little bit old, but it, the same thing probably applies nowadays, 70% of them had a prior arrest record and 59% had a prior violent felony. In other words, most criminals are habitual. So that's why I am a tough on crime guy. I am for strong sentences, especially for repeat offenders. But all my colleagues in this business, right and left, think we're too tough. We lock up too many people. And then they complain about this stuff. So that was the case of the Parkland shooter. He had 50 calls on him, all sorts of violence. But part of criminal justice reform is to never lock anyone up. So you mean to tell me these very same people are for not solving the things we can solve. They're for letting out the violent criminals from jail. They're for not locking up people initially, not locking up violent use, and not dealing with just not importing MS-13. I mean, we're talking about the youth and violence and school shootings. You got, I'm reading here, the LA Times has an article out. MS-13 gang created beachhead at Valley High School. But authorities insisted on secrecy. This was in that Panorama High School in California. We, we've been talking about this the entire time. We've imported recent illegal immigrants that butchered seven people to death. And guess what? Most, not most, but a tremendous amount of illegal alien crime is committed against Hispanics. That's just where they live. You're not doing anyone a favor by, by, by uh, having illegal immigration, by bringing in uh, so many gangs, and especially the sexual assaults on, on minors that we've been talking about. They're usually with people they know, so they're usually within Hispanics. So don't give me this nonsense of, oh, oh my gosh, uh, it's racist to, to be for sovereignty. Let me tell you something. 
the Mexican people. Polls show overwhelmingly support deporting the Central Americans coming there. They understand that it's harming them. It's blood money. The cartels are getting billions of dollars because of our immigration policies. And that empowers them, creates turf wars, and 35 to 40,000 Mexicans will die this year as a result of our illegal immigration policies. Not to mention the thousands killed on American soil, the drugs, the gangs, the sex trafficking. Talk to anyone in law enforcement. 15 years ago, it was sex trafficking was, was a term you used in third world countries. It was unknown here. It was all brought in externally. This is all avoidable. It's all redressable with public policy. Because it's external. We control immigration policy. The most vexing thing are Americans that have a right to be here, so you can't deport them, who have no criminal record. Most murderers we could have gotten before. They committed robbery, drug trafficking, things like that. These kind of um, psychotic mass murderers are often first-timers. That's what we're seeing. There's cases like Parkland where they were known, but these guys, what it appears to be the ones over the weekend from Dayton and El Paso, there were no records of them. And that is a very, we, we need to just humbly recognize, right and left, that is a tough issue. Because if they're hell-bent on doing that, there's not much you could do to stop that. That is a very tough issue. And with social media just fueling these people, it's going to get more and more. Irrespective of what our politics are in this country. And that's why I think it's important. A lot of people are saying, oh, we're headed to a civil war. I don't think that's true. Most of these are mental illness. I don't think there are so many examples of these mass shootings that are driven by a civil war. We're making it too political. What is more redressable and again, I'm, it's fine to talk about mass shootings. We're going to talk about specifically with the guns, what could be done, what could be done with self-defense, what could be done possibly to deter it. I mean, the best thing would be no notoriety. If you go to a website, there's a website called No Notoriety. Basically, in the 80s, you had this rash of suicides where all these people were trying to gain fame. I mean, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but that's how it worked in their in their uh, you know mentally ill brain. And the media got together at the time, just wouldn't wouldn't give it air, no notoriety. I guarantee you, if you were to do that now, it would starve it to death. That is that is the source of the problem. And I'm not blaming anyone. What do you what do you do? It's you know, the technology is there. It's impossible. That's a challenge we have. But I think as a baseline, that general problem is nobody's fault. But if we're going to tear our hair out over mass shootings, it's important that we look at the broader context. Okay, we need to look at the broader context. At the end of the day, it's a few hundred people that seem to be killed from rifles depending on the year, 100, 200 even from mass shootings. But it's still a fraction of the 15 to 20,000 homicides we have a year. 
And the thing is, most of those are much more redressable with public policy because it's with the, the general domestic violence in the inner cities that is a lot more redressable. So it's, it's fundamentally dishonest to focus on one sliver because they conveniently want to get one outcome and not look at a broader issue. So first off, before we just get to politics, just from a cultural standpoint, it's important we don't beat ourselves over the head that yes, as we do have a challenge clearly that's more pervasive than the past of these psychotic first-timer mass shooters, I think it is important to first celebrate a problem that we did gain traction on, and we certainly um, have made headway, and that's just general violent crime. General violent crime. I want you guys to take a look here. We're going to have a, um, a chart I want you to look at of the growth or actually the reduction in violent crime over the past number of years. This is very important. I'm just looking at my uh, data here. This is from disastercenter.com. Um, they basically just collate the FBI uniform, uniform crime reporting statistics. And you know, you look in the early 90s, we had 23, 24,000 murders. That went down to about 15,000. And now it's gone up the last couple of years, 17,000 as of uh, 2017, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. I think that's that's disturbing that the trend is bending up. It's kind of like a hockey stick, um, and I think there's a reason for that. But I think we should at least celebrate. You know, you know, as much as you think the world is coming to an end, yes, one sliver is getting worse. But even with all the fatalities from these mass shootings, remember, um, even with in 2017, that was the year of of the Vegas shooting. That was the worst one ever. 59 people killed. Remember. We had, you know, what, 40% fewer homicides than in uh, 1993? You look at property crimes. Property crimes are devastating. 12.6 million in 1990, it's down to 7.6 million, almost cut in half. General violent, violent crime that accounts for like, you know, robbery, rape, assault, 1.8 million in 1990, it's down to 1.2 million. Okay, that's, that's, that's a big chunk. And I think, you know, these are things that we should all get together and, and celebrate. And we do have to recognize that trend. So most of what goes on is still murder in our inner cities. Then they want to make this about white supremacism. Okay, white supremacism. It's fundamentally dishonest to discuss this and not discuss the fact that seven to 8,000 blacks every year are victims of homicide, mainly from other blacks in the inner city shootings. In just a week of Baltimore and Chicago, I live here in Baltimore, you have 20 homicide victims. So rather than one guy doing 20, and that has a certain shock value, and I understand that, so you have 20 doing 20. But this quickly adds up, and we need to recognize that. We need to recognize all of this. Let me, let me give you some statistics here. This is from the FBI uniform uh, crime reporting. I think this is really important that we recognize all of this. Just in 2017, there were 1,272 more black people killed by homicide than whites. 7,851 blacks were killed, 
6,579 whites were killed, according to the FBI. Let me put this another way. Even though blacks um, basically make up, what, 54, uh, 13% of the population, they make up 13% of the population, but account for 54% of homicide victims and roughly the same share of, of homicide perpetrators, homicide offenders. In cases where the race of both the victim and offender were known, a staggering 88.4% of black, black homicide victims were murdered by black offenders. When you're dealing with the inner city with drugs, gangs, sentencing, weak on crime laws, these are things that could be addressed. Stop focusing on the item. Focus on the perpetrators. That always works. This was our big mistake after 9-11. We just flailed out, went after constitutional liberties, cast a wide net on all Americans. We made airports like, like prisons. And yet we refused to target the issue. The issue was a bad visa policy. We brought into this country people who shouldn't have been brought in. We've allowed networks to coalesce in this country that we should have monitored better. You have to target the problem. Target the criminal. Yet these very same people think we're too tough on crime. I'm sorry, that's not a distraction. I can't ignore the broader homicide safety and security issue when these very same people who want gun control are the ones that want to let all the criminals out of jail. What, so it's lock up the guns but let out the criminals? That's the reality. That's where we are. And then look, then, then, then there's the other issue here that I think is really important. And that is, so you want to talk about, okay, Daniel, you're right. This is more of a, you know, it's not more white supremacism. It's just, you have isolated cases, you have eco people, you have uh, mental illness, you have jihadists. Okay, fine. But at least if they didn't have the guns, they wouldn't be able to act on this. Here's the, here's the problem with that. The last, two, the last two to three decades incontrovertibly deconstruct this narrative. See, over the last few decades, we've had a massive increase in gun ownership, a massive increase in concealed carry permits. And yet, and yet, over that same period of time, violent crime is down 70%. Now, it's going up in some of the major cities where we're, 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 we're reversing progress on some of um, some of the tough on crime laws we've had and, and the longer sentences. But in general, there's no way, it's almost like a crisscross. The guns went up and the crime went down. I'm not saying it proves that more guns makes less crime, but you certainly can't say that that's the answer and that's the culprit. You can't just take one sliver. Here's a couple of things you need to recognize. In 1993, less than 30% of Americans lived in a right-to-carry state. Now, that number is going to 70%. There are now 17.25 million people have concealed carry permits, a 273% increase just since 2007. Yet violent crime, including from gun homicides, was cut in half. As the number of guns owned increased, by 60%. 
Over the past few years, after two decades of a steady decline in murder, violent crime has risen in some major liberal cities. Directly after the instituted magazine capacity bans, so-called assault weapons bans, that's my state of Maryland. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? Let me show you this chart right here. You're going to see that in Maryland, or at least in Baltimore, which is the major city in Maryland, homicides start to go up when? Right when they passed their big gun control law in 2013, banning assault weapons, banning extended magazines, and um, making it that you need a license to even own a gun in your home. So the left is like, we need background checks. Well, we have background checks. I don't know what they're talking about, but I'll do one better for you. My state of Maryland, nobody's allowed to carry. And then, and then even to own a gun. So not only do you need a background check for the purchase, like you always do, but to initially first own as of 2013, you need a license. Like, like you do in most states to carry, you need to even own in your home. It's a whole process. It takes several months. We have more violence than anything in Baltimore. It's a joke. I'm all open. I'm, I'm, I'm very big on safety and security. I think that's the biggest job of government. Not to get involved in healthcare and agriculture and distort markets. It is to keep you safe. I'm all open for a solution. But how do you explain my hometown? The only thing it does is it ensures people like myself, we can't protect ourselves, and they're the only ones carrying. That's the joke. And then there's finally, so they say, all right, you're right, Daniel, but at least we need to focus on the AR-style guns. The long guns. But he, again, it's dishonest. Out of the 15,129 known homicide victims, Just 403 of them in 2017 died from rifles. And that includes Vegas. Vegas occurred that year. That was 59 of them right in one shot. The overwhelming, like 7,000 or so, are just from run-of-the-mill handguns. Everyone agrees you're never going to get rid of them. You, the, 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 this little like, oh, go after this type or this background check, it's not going to address that because most of the homicides in this country are the inner city turf wars. Mainly blacks are victims of that, but increasingly Hispanics with the transnational gangs being directed directly by the cartels, by the way, the Mexican cartels, empowered by our open border policies. It's done with run-of-the-mill nine-millimeter handguns. That's what, the, that's what it is. Only 403 of the homicide victims in 2017 were from uh, so-called, uh, well, any rifle. Now, assault rifle is a misnomer. It's nonsense. But um, here's the deal. Almost four times as many, roughly 1,600 people, died from knives or sharp objects. So four times as many people died from knives as from rifles. And 696, what is that, like 70% more, died from fists or feet, just physical attacks. So you, the, these things are shocking. They definitely are increasing in terms of the mass shootings, 
But you do have to look broadly that homicides, thankfully, have gone down. Unfortunately, they're starting to turn back up in these cities because we're letting out criminals. We've already have the toughest gun laws in the places with the most homicides. And just a small sliver, even with the increase that we all agree has increased in mass, mass shootings with rifles, just a small percentage of the fatalities are from rifles. Knives are four times more. And if you want to go after it, you're going to have to go after regular handguns. Now, deep down, I think the left wants to do that. But do you honestly think that you're able at this point in society to get rid of them? All you're going to do is disarm good people. They're always going to, the bad guys are always going to get it. That's the thing. It's the same thing with drugs. I say it all the time. The reason the war on drugs didn't work is because we don't go after the source, the border, and the cartels. You could go after people. You could have a war on people. That's a real war. You can't have a war on an item. It doesn't work. And the left seems to recognize that with drugs, but they don't recognize it with guns. It just doesn't work. There's nothing that they have demonstrated that's going to work. But they're always like, well, let's just try. Do, do something. Well, if that's your mentality, that you got to try anything that you think might save a, light, a life, then why don't you try getting rid of sanctuary cities that we know will save lives? I mean, look at this. Look at this. Santa Clara County, California. That was the place where Bambi Larson, this woman, was butchered by an illegal alien a couple months ago, earlier this year. This guy had 15 ignored ICE detainers, meaning 15 prior arrests and convictions, drugs and assault and all sorts of things. ICE said, just give him over. We could have thrown him out of the country. 100% avoidable. Her death was 100% avoidable. That is Revealed to us. That is for us to deal with. That is public policy. That's not a vexing societal problem. And they refused to turn the guy over. And she got killed. All right, then you'd think they would repent and change their policies. Do something. No, they decided they're going to keep their sanctuary policy. I was told by the ICE director of Northern California. Let me just get the information here. This was a guy, um, again, he's the field office director there in Northern California, that just in the two months that they were debating whether to keep the sanctuary policy over um, May and June, ICE issued 176 detainers with the Santa Clara County Jail, and they were all denied. Of those detainers denied, 108 of them had prior arrests. So they themselves were in the system and committed other crimes only because they weren't turned over to ICE and sent out of the country. I've said this before. Illegal immigration, when they when illegal immigrants commit crimes, it's not inherently evil or it's not you know, more devastating to the victims or more devastating to society than when it's done by an, by an American. But from a public policy standpoint, do something. We need to fix it. It's 100% redressable. Americans, they cycle in and out, unfortunately, of the system. These people, you could get them out of the country. And with Americans, to a certain extent, known criminals do need to be locked up longer. Instead, these very people on the media feel we locked them up too long. And then they have the nerve to complain about this. 
So let's do what we can. Let's end all illegal immigration that we could easily do so we don't have other countries criminals. Immigration is a voluntary policy. We could vet everyone. You can't vet natural born Americans. You're stuck with what you have. And then with known American criminals, let's get tougher on violent criminals that we can do. Then come back to me. Okay, you have to look at the pie in totality. You want to focus on this sliver that is a very tough issue. Now, the president was pretty decent on this issue, but he's talking about all oh, more background checks, whatever that even means. They didn't explain that yet. Red flag laws. Look, I'm all for ensuring that mentally ill don't have guns, but what is the law to do that? Show it to me. You have to be very careful with First Amendment issues. We don't want to sacrifice that in this country. It's going to be counterintuitive. It's a very simple issue. Very, very simple issue. And, you know, there's also more context that's needed, too. We don't need to condemn white supremacism, of course. I mean, it's obvious. Yes, we condemn them. But what we also need to condemn very clearly is the left needs to condemn things that they could deal with. Antifa is out in the open. The problem with a lot of these type of guys is that they're first timers and they're quietly around. Now, look, if there's stuff the FBI could do that there are networks, break them up. We we need to look at that. There's no question about that. But what about Antifa? I want you to listen to the following clip from two weeks ago on my show when I was speaking with Brian Wilcox, the field director of ISIS Seattle office, about how not only are sanctuary cities not cooperating on immigration law, you have Antifa violent protests taking place during ICE operations. And Portland police, Portland, Oregon, will not even, they'll stand down. They will stand down. Listen to this. A lot of people saw in Portland a couple weeks ago, and really several times, these wild Antifa protests that get extremely violent. And the first question that comes to mind is, where is local law enforcement? When you see in your area of operation a lot of these protests against um, against ICE, uh, do you have the full cooperation of local law enforcement the uh, the cooperation, no. Uh, to be frank with you, it uh, it depends on where uh, where we are. Uh, we definitely are, are not getting uh, cooperation uh, locally in uh, in in Portland. You heard that, folks? He said point blank, honestly, no, no. They do not cooperate. They will not secure the perimeter from violent Antifa protests. So. Here you have people, you know, you had that conservative journalist that had cement thrown on him, that dried on his face. That was out in the open. This wasn't something that, oh my gosh, someone comes out of nowhere, lone wolf, no criminal record. This is out in the open. The street violence is out in the open, and that is easily redressable through public policy, yet Democrats praise Antifa. No one praises on our side, praises white supremacists. Again, not that it's our side. I mean, yes, he did espouse, you know, anti-illegal immigration views, but he did it in this despotic, despotic, like, 
race mixing nonsense. But he also was for socialism too. So, I mean, I could pin that on them. Again, the Dayton shooter said he supports Elizabeth Warren. I don't blame her. I don't, I don't think Elizabeth Warren needs to disavow that. But I think it is different when you have Cortez, whatever her name is, calling ICE and border agents Nazis, and then all of these people, the Dayton guy too, had all of a, over a social media her comments. And they're acting in mass and publicly violently. It's not like one guy here and there. It's a whole mass protest. And they, you know, we, we had that attack on an ICE facility. Could have easily blown up everyone in there. Tried to blow up a propane tank. The media doesn't report on it. So this is the other problem. The media shows no context. There is no context for any of this. You got to look at things broadly. And then, you know, if you look under under my system, law and order, law and order doesn't discriminate. You do everything you can to deter and punish crime. Investigate. You know, I've had law enforcement tell me that they are really hamstrung over the years on what they're allowed to do to crawl, use crawlers and to, to scrape information from social media. Remember, I am very strong on privacy and First Amendment. We're not saying to go into, um, you know, unconstitutionally go into private accounts. I'm talking about when people post things publicly, there's no reason law enforcement can't look at that. And using the tools they have and the, and the constitutional legal policies of what's probable cause, they could, you know, first interview you and question you. And then, you know, based on probable cause, they could hold you. Secret Service does that all the time. You know, you're going to get a visit from them if you post some of this stuff online. But local law enforcement are often prohibited from, from doing that. That's a whole nother issue here that, you know, maybe we'll talk about another day. But I do want to say, if you want to make this about race, then you do have to open this up broadly. Well, we've had two devastating white supremacist attacks because, you know, just one guy killing 20 people here, 11 in Pittsburgh. You do have endless ubiquitous, racially motivated black attacks on Jewish folks in Brooklyn, New York. That is something that is, boy, is that covered up by the media. And that's not just one or two lone wolves. That is a hell of a lot of people. Certainly not a majority. Most blacks are law-abiding citizens like anyone else. But if we're going to have a national discussion, that's got to you know, be a part of that equation too. It's got to be balanced. It's got to be balanced. Um, so that is the bottom line for today. I'm going to do a separate show with Congressman Massey, Thomas Massey on the gun part. We went so long. I was actually planning on doing one show. You're going to get a bonus second show with Congressman Thomas Massey. So stay tuned for that show. You're going to want to watch that together. This is episode 465. That's me 466. But send me your comments, questions, concerns. Horowitz at blazemedia.com. We've barely scraped the surface of this issue. I'm not going to be cowed away from and distracted from focusing on the border. We're going to get back to those issues. But I felt it's very important to recognize what is a public policy issue and what is not. What is more of a cultural problem? What is redressable and what's not? And if we're going to beat ourselves up over doing something, do something over a very tough issue that really is a sliver of the violence we have in this country, 
then we sure as hell should be doing something about what is so much more redressable, which represents the majority of murders in this country. And yes, starting with the criminals, the two million criminals we have, not just regular illegal immigrants, but criminal illegal immigrants of other countries that have not been deported. That is all the more so we're going to keep talking about that because, hey, don't we want to do something? The bottom line is we're always going to have challenges. We're going to have violence on some level. Some things are, are going to be left to God until God plants his feet on the Mount of Olives and reveals himself, like it says in Zechariah. Till then, we do have to recognize our limitations. We do have to recognize that, that you know, sometimes when you start going all North Korea and you impetuously respond with infringing on liberties, it's counterintuitive and you don't even address the problem. Rather than casting a wide net, let's think how to identify and isolate and hone in on the problematic people, both with mass shootings and with everything else as well. Let's make this a broad, honest discussion and put everything on the table. Till next time, next episode, which will be very soon. God bless you all. Thank you for listening.